Hello and welcome to YFS Radio. Today's interview sees Adam Binney chatting to Tom Miller. Now, make no Tom, he's quite a recognisable face in the Scottish football scene, or should I say, more of a voice, as he is the commentator for Rangers TV. He chats to Adam about his career as a commentator and as a broadcaster. So, without any further ado, here's Adam. Hello and welcome to Youth Football Scotland TV. I'm your host, Adam Binney, and today we welcome the voice of Rangers Football Club, Tom Miller. Tom is an experienced broadcaster who has covered Scottish football for TV, radio and print for over 25 years. He is now also a published author and has been Rangers TV's resident match commentator since 1999. Thanks very much for coming on, Tom. How are we doing? Absolute pleasure, Adam, and just great to talk football. While we're all in lockdown, we're missing it so much, but uh, a pleasure to, to have a chat with you for sure. And as most people will know, you are the, the Rangers TV commentator, but commentary isn't something that, that everyone always gets into. Gets into, sorry. So how is it that this came about? Was, was this something you were always involved in it, um, with football? No, I, I had absolutely no plans. Uh, it wasn't on my radar. It's not something I'd even considered. Um, and I, I had actually been looking after a couple of professional cricketers from an kind of agent's oh, angle. Uh, who travelled from both Australia and Pakistan to get clubs over here. And um, I found myself, I was always a huge football fan and I had uh, a lot of friends in the game, professional players and things, over many, many years. I had always been a Rangers fan, I'll make no apology for that. Um, However, I, I was asked to speak at a cricket dinner and cricket and rugby are very sociable sports. Well, I, I was asked to, to speak as an after-dinner speaker at the local uh, rugby club in Coatbridge. And I'd never done that before, but I was a member of the cricket section of the club. And the guy said, don't worry, Tom, you'll be fine. Just be your natural self. And I said, look, if you're stuck, I'll do it, but I'd rather not. It's not something I wanted to do. I'm, I'm a roundabout route here. I'm, I'm getting to the commentary stage. Nah, that's all right. Nah, that's interesting. Um, so, they originally had a, a reporter from the Daily Record who was going to be one of the speakers of the evening um, who, who was borderline whether they could make it or not. So, I was on standby. Yeah. And as it happened, yeah. he wasn't available and I had to go in um, <laughs> and speak on the night at the Drumfellier Rugby Club as well as Drumfellier Wayside Rugby Club. And the main speaker was a very famous Scottish internationalist rugby player called John Jeffries, who was known as the Shark in his day. Um, and he was, he was the main speaker. So I was asked to sort of speak first, to set the tone for the evening. And going back many years, that vintage, the Scottish rugby team of the, the day had probably one or two too many aftershaves after winning the Five Nations, or as it would be at the time. And the Calcutta Cup was kicked around Northbridge in Edinburgh. Uh, and it's a very famous old trophy. But it, it made front page news about the damage done to the Calcutta Cup by the Scottish international squad after having beaten England, if memory serves me correct. So prior to the uh, speech that I had to deliver, I had flipped a trophy out the trophy cabinet at the Cricket Rugby Club, kept it under the desk. Um, and Jim, uh, John Jeffries, rather, was also a farmer from the borders. And I had two bits of kit under the desk, one of which was a, a trophy. The other was a, 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 a tumshi, as we would call it, a tournament. And I first offered them the trophy. And I said, if you feel a bit of boredom coming on, big man, you can always not bleep out of this because it was only the week before that they had been uh, involved with this trophy yeah. being damaged after, the, after a rocket night out. And the other says, and you can take this home to your girlfriend, because he was a well-known sheep farmer in the border, <laughs> so I handed him a turnip. <laughs> so I sort of set the tone, and at the end of the night, John Jeffrey said to me, that was terrific, you man, you must come to Kelso Rugby Club and speak on behalf of the guests there at our next event. So I, I found myself doing this wee bit of after-dinner stuff. And one of the gigs that came up was Cumbernauld United Junior Football Club. And I was asked to speak there. 
And the guy who was hosting the night was a radio broadcaster in football. And he had just moved to a new radio station called Scott FM, yep. um, who later became Real Radio, who later became something else along the way as well. Mm-hmm. And he said, that was outstanding. What do you do? You know, that you know so many football guys and people like Andy Walker and things were in the audience and Steve Kirk, who'd been at Mother, all those. There was a host of, of you know, at that time, professional players all in the audience. And this fellow said to me, I'm head of sport there. How do you feel about um, doing some reporting for us? Well, I thought, I'll have a bit of that. Absolutely. <laughs> so in the summer, I actually did some reporting on cricket for them originally. Yeah. And yeah. Because I would be out round the grounds where I had uh, affiliations with guys that I'd positioned as pros. Um, and then when the football season started, I, I was down the, the order, obviously. Uh, because they're a, they're a frontline team of guys like um, John Robertson when not playing is involved mm. um, uh, Alan McAnally uh, who you see regularly on, on Sky uh, Joe Harper former Scotland and Aberdeen striker so they had this sort of front line that covered the big games that I would be asked to go and pick off games perhaps at the bottom of the top flight of the top of the division below. So you might find yourself watching Falkirk versus uh, St Mirren or something at that time. Yeah, yeah. What the grand total of uh, uh, maybe an aggregate six minutes of airtime for you to set the scene pre-match, give the teams a snapshot half-time report and a full-time report. Then you had to go and get some post-match reaction from the movers and shakers from the game of the day, fire the audio in. So it was great fun. But I always had this we should get a big game. It would be fantastic to go and cover Rangers or Celtic or, you know, something at the top end. And a wise old experienced broadcaster said to me, don't be daft, me man, we pay you the same. He said, and they'll welcome you much more when you go to places like Motherwell and you go to places like Ben's Park or the old Brockville, says, than they do when you go to the bigger clubs where they really don't have as much time for you. So, what you're doing, you're doing a fine job, just enjoy it. And that went on for, for quite a while until the what they had live commentary, they had the rights at that time of full live commentary. Um, until the there's a, a, a New Year's fixture between Rangers and Celtic, which was quite a controversial event, um, where Jim Farry had denied George Cadet being able to play because of a signing issue. Uh, and that was the last live game at that time that Scott FM ever covered. I didn't get the opportunity, but what happened immediately thereafter, I was invited into the studio because they no longer had reporters out at games, but they still had a sports programme. Um, so that was great grounding. That was wonderful experience of getting airtime, getting confidence behind the microphone, and doing your research so you had something to talk about uh, when you didn't have games to go to or people to go to to bring you an absolute colour piece. From, from the venue. Um, so I think I did that for maybe around probably about two seasons, two to three seasons. Um, but in between the time, I had been asked to move to Radio 4 in Edinburgh, who we were part of the Bird Group. But at that time, um, they were the sister station of Radio Clyde, Clyde being the west of Scotland and Fourth being the east of Scotland. And then they had uh, Hibs, Hearts, Dunfermline, Livingston, and Falkirk, even for a while, all in the top flight all of whom were on the footprint of the coverage for Radio 4. So, and they had commentary. So I, I went along there. The head of sport was a guy called Mark Donaldson, who's now top commentator on ESPN. In oh, yes. Yeah, one of yeah. the other boys um, was speaking to Mark a couple of weeks ago, actually. Yeah. He's been Don't on you. He goes yeah. by as a big Hearts fan. <laughs> um, and he had just been a junior reporter at Scott FM yeah. before moving to Radio 4. So when he climbed the ladder a wee bit within Radio 4, he came and said, Tom, you must come and work with me. And effectively, Mark did Hearts home and away because he was a Hearts fan. And I would pick up the second game. But they had a commentary on two footprints, one on FM, as was way before the days of DAB, and the other was in the AM uh, output. So Hearts would always be on one, and the other would generally be the away team between Dunfermline, uh, Livingston, or Hibs, effectively. So that happened, and 
But the commentary thing came about quite unusually. There was a, a website started called um, Art of the Mirror Group that, that's one of the very first uh, internet sites uh, in the west of Scotland, if not the whole of Scotland. And it was called IC Scotland, the letters IC Scotland. Mm -hmm. And they say they were part of the Mirror Group in at the Broomer Law, where the Daily Record offices are. And I got a phone call one day from a chap there to say, we struck a deal to broadcast a Rangers game live on the internet, audio style. Now, this was really groundbreaking. It had never been done before north of the border. And IC Scotland had, had forged a partnership with Rangers, and the game to be covered was Ian Ferguson's testimonial against Sunderland. And it was July uh, 1999. And they said, we're putting a team together. Um, we want you involved, Tom. And I said, well, I did really please. And so I had to go along and talk it through the Rangers. Cut a long story short, the guy who they'd identified to commentate wasn't available for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll keep it as simple as that. But he didn't quite meet the criteria, can I suggest. And it was less than a week before the game. And the producer fellow said, Tom, you'll need to do the commentary. So I've never done commentary. And he said, well, what else do we do? Well, and it's something you might face yourself in your career as, as it goes on, Adam, is you're at a crossroads. Do you grasp the nettle, have a go at the challenge, or shrink and think, nah, I don't think I can do it? Or go and say, I'll, I'll give it my best shot and at least experience it. So I thought, yeah, it might never come again. I might be absolutely honking. Uh, I might get away with it. But one thing, I'll, I'll have passion for it. Um, so the opportunity came, and the Friday before the midweek game against uh, Sunderland, Rangers had played them the Friday night at uh, Love Street, the old home of St Mirren, and I think it was a 1-1 draw. George Albert scored, if memory serves me correct. Well, I went along solo with my wee pro Sonny Walkman tape recorder and proceeded to commentate to no one but my tape recorder. And when I came home and I played it back, I think my confidence took a wee bit of a dent, but it was a worthwhile <laughs> exercise. Um, and come the Wednesday, uh, I had to recruit uh, a summariser and uh, a great friend of mine, who's sadly no longer with us, Colin Jackson, who was a, a wonderful ranger, uh, volunteered, and, and Colin uh, really delivered on the occasion for me. And we had 57,000 hits on the internet. Now remember, this is 1999. You, so, weren't, even you weren't even a glint in your dad <laughs> Graham's eye at that time. No. Uh, <laughs> and harnessed. It was totally a, a pioneering. It had never been done before. And we had this global audience picking up the game. Of course, in those days, you didn't have things like Bluetooth and all sorts of, of modern uh, paraphernalia. It was all dial-up. So people would dip in and dip out because it was an expensive uh, method of communication, the internet in those days, because it was right down a telephone line. So it was hugely successful. So much so that um, the day after, Rangers phoned me and said, Tom, do you have an email? I didn't even have an email in those days. I said it was 1999. And they said, well, we've got a, a communication here. We could fax it to you. That's fine, we've got a fax. So this letter came through the fax, um, which read, not quite verbatim, but the bones of the letter said, I'm listening to the game in my office in Calgary, Canada. Um, can you tell me if the Tom Miller on commentary used to live at 45 Yelza Road, Coat Bridge? I am sure he's an old next door neighbour of my mother and father. Yours sincerely, Joe Christie. Adam, it was right enough. I hadn't spoken to this guy in 25 years. And he heard the voice. He was listening to the game. He had qualified yeah. as an accountant, moved to live in Hong Kong, and then moved from Hong Kong to Canada. <laughs> And he was probably around five years older than me. And here he was, sitting in his office, listening to a Rangers game all across the world on the internet, the first ever. Mm -hmm. And when I, I read the letter with absolute, you know, just astonishment, effectively. 
And then at the bottom of the letter, he actually said, P.S., while I'm enjoying it, I have to admit, I'm a Celtic fan. So it, that, that was it. I was hooked. I loved it. Uh, um, Rangers didn't quite know how to harness it because it, it, there was a heavier cost than, than could be recouped in putting it out. But it, it was the start of a journey for me where reporting and interviewing um, sort of took a back seat to the opportunity to commentate. Um, and from there, it, it just snowballed and the opportunities came with people like Radio Clyde, with Talk Sport, with uh, a station that didn't last that long in Edinburgh called Talk 107. Uh, I was very fortunate and did um, a lot of games in Europe when hearts were flying at that time um, for that particular station. Satanta, I did some work in STV as well um, in the days of Scott Sport and Football First, which covered the uh, first division of its day. So I, I, I've had a level of versatility. I've, I've been trusted by a huge number of, of really top-end accredited broadcasters. Um, and it, it has been a journey that I've never taken for granted. I've loved every minute of it. Uh, and it's a privilege, whether it was working for Radio Clyde or Radio Force or whoever, I've always considered it a, a, a real privilege um, to be able to, to do the job. Um, and even now, 21 years, all but a month, and still doing stuff at Rangers, Sometimes I've got to just pinch myself yeah. that it's still actually happening, Adam. So um, how quickly after then would Rangers TV come about? Um, and obviously you're now regular commentator every single week at Rangers. How quickly straight after then would that have come about? Well, originally it was predominantly audio, radio style, yeah. rather yeah. than pictures. Um, and even in the early days of Rangers TV, the, they took effectively the output from the primary broadcaster at that time. So the Rangers TV, always on delay uh, for within the UK, but live only outside the UK, so that there was no breach of, of contractual agreements with people like Sky or latterly BT, although in between the time there was um, the ESPN organisation who had yeah. a spell um, as, a, as an accredited broadcast partner with the SPFL or, or its whatever guys it was in at the time. Um, so... It, the, the TV part probably only came, I would suggest, probably around 2010. And that was where they wanted a wee bit more in-house control. They, they wanted it slanted slightly more to the particular audience. Um, and even now, though, while, while we're, we're, our primary endeavours are television style, we actually have a, a, a simulcast most games, where it's also gone out in audio, because the audio coverage can go out live in the UK, while television coverage can't, it's on delay, mm. effectively. So, well, you know, I, and I accept the criticism where people say he talks too much. Well, part of that is simply because it's also gone out in a radio style. Yeah. So it's yeah. striking a balance of that hybrid, effectively, between TV and radio, because there is an audience for both. Now, ideally, they would have two commentary teams, but you know, you, you go to certain venues and there just isn't enough capacity for a, an additional commentary team right now. At the time, you know, Sky, etc., you know, commandeer the gantry or the broadcast facility. Um, that's the bin men, incidentally, just doing the necessary. <laughs> I saw that. You, you, can't, you can't hear them anyway. Uh, that's not so bad. In case you're wondering what that is, no, uh, that's the bin men. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, and in that occasion, we sometimes have to find another route to, to be able to deliver the commentary service. Um, and I have to say the club are, are terrific in that regard of coming up with the solutions uh, when necessary. And, you know, when you consider that space is a bit of a premium, has been a bit of a premium, and with social distancing, uh, as we all rev up our engines to get back uh, into some form of football, the new normal, whatever that may be, Adam, um, yeah. is going to be even more difficult again. But uh, I, I think there's a real passion from uh, the, the, the Scottish public, whichever team they support, even the couple of hundred people that turn out every other week to support teams like Albion Rovers. They just want to get back to that normality. Uh, and I think we all do. Uh, and, and just get back to 
uh, what is undoubtedly Scotland's national pastime by way of sport. Now, um, as a commentator, everyone knows commentators are famous for the um, ridiculously obscure facts that they come up come up with, and I've um, been lucky enough to shadow your work and seen the preparation that goes in. Just, um, what does a t- typical week leading up to match day entail um, in terms of preparation for a commentator? Well, as you probably know, Adam, I also have a real job. Very yeah. lucky in that <laughs> regard as well, if you can let me term it that. Um, and I, I, I'm very cautious that I have to uh, basically box them off uh, in that regard. And, and, uh, and that probably enhances my enjoyment uh, when, when I do get to the, the commentary box. But effectively, it goes from the, the, the final whistle of one game, the preparation effectively starts for the next one. Um, and it's a rolling stats uh, record as well on appearances. Um, goals, bookings, all the usual stuff that you've got yeah. to hand there. And invariably, it, it's old-fashioned. It's handwritten. And I think 99 commentators out of 100 probably operate a very similar style because by writing it, and it may well be old-fashioned, and you have to remember, I'm now beyond the wrinkly stage, but by <laughs> writing it, it stays in your memory. And you only have to glance at it and the narrative that you, you have supports what's in your mind. Um, so, yeah, I would say a typical match preparation would probably be around three hours, um, but it's not at a sitting. The three hours, the three and a half hours, might be over four evenings, uh, yeah. or, or if something comes to me, uh, I'll make a wee note and then carry it over into the, this working document that is uh, my, my coverage. It's a book that runs for the season, and there's everything in there that I would hope I would ever need to refer to. And you've touched on preparation there, but we've had um, nearly 50 kids pass the Youth Football Scotland Sports Journalism e-learning course just last month. And in, in that course, one of the modules was commentary. So have you got any other pieces of advice for um, young commentators looking to, to make it in the game? I, I was very fortunate, Adam, at my time at STV as a reporter, that the legend is Archie McPherson. Oh, yeah. He used to ask me or ask for me to be his second man. Now, to see Archie at work was not just inspirational, but educational, because he'd done it for so long at the very, very top. And a lesson I learned, and I remember it clearly, a match at Petaudry one day, and Archie's on commentary, and effectively I was his spotter. And if you ever get to that luxurious stage of having a second man as a spotter, it can be quite reassuring to have someone there just to back you up if you're unsure of who did what. Um, but, but Archie quickly got the message across that I was able to fully follow. If you don't know, don't say. If there's any dubiety, don't say. And if the goal's been scored and there may be a ruck of players who've been involved and you're not sure who got the last touch to get it over the line, flick the headphones off one ear, waffle, and listen for the stadium announcer. <laughs> so at least you're on the same wavelength. <laughs> and it's as simple as that, because it's very easy to get caught up in the moment and say what you think you saw, and then it's only through replay you think, hmm, that's not quite how it actually happened. So... And don't get me wrong, I've probably done it while I'm telling you one thing. <laughs> in experience, in real time, I, I, I've done other things. I don't recall too many glaring errors, but that, that was a good tip. If unsure, uh, waffle a wee bit, talk about the periphery, talk about the celebration, if it's a goal, talk about how the fans are enjoying it and watch who takes the most congratulations and pats on the back from teammates. But listen the stadium announcer along the way as well. What I also find, um, get the team down information if you can in front of you. And I have a, a like a, a, a recipe book stand which sits to the side of my screens where I'm getting replay and I have the teams as best as I would expect them to line up in a 4 3 4 which whichever shape I would expect them to be in with the names 
quite prominent in bold print, and this may take up about half an A4 page um, or more, two thirds of an A4 page, laid out in shape, one against the other, um, with some numbers in bold red below it, because it's unlikely that your left back is going to score from the right wing. So if you have the shape in front of you and you've got one eye on it, and it soon becomes second nature how the team are shaped up. And when you when you build a bit of respect and relationship with team managers and things, they will usually share their team news with you fairly early, as long as you have built up enough trust that they know you won't share it with the opposition or anyone else. Um, and it's quite quite vital that you know that you, you have to work to earn that reputation. Um, and then you keep the information to yourself. And often on the gantry at Ibrooks, a number of other broadcasters will be peering over my shoulder that I always have a spare card to just cover what's going on so they don't get the team news when they want to put that out at the top of their show. Um, it, it, it's vital in that regard because uh, information is, is very powerful particularly in preparation for a game. Um, so, yeah, the hard yards are in. Um, and it, I've, I've found it's, it's stood me in great stead over the years, Adam. And another part of um, commentary is obviously you'll be joined by co-commentators um, yeah. almost every game. Uh, you get to work with some, some Rangers legends and some uh, big footballing names. Can I ask, have you had a favourite person to, to co-commentate with at all? I, I would never use the term favourite. Favourite. <laughs> because you're then doing a disservice to the other guys. Yeah. And as you say, I've been, it's been a real privilege to be able to work with some of these guys who, you know, it's the next best thing for me. Not having ever been able to play the game at that level or anywhere near it, to be actually able to talk about it with the guy sitting next to you who has. And... You know, Rangers TV have been very supportive of my ideas as to who to use. Um, there are logistical controls that you have to consider. Um, local, you know, how accessible are they? How committed are they? Um, some people don't want to be doing it every week. Some are quite happy to do it occasionally. Um, but when you get opportunities for guys like Mark Walters, um, Marco Negri, who would only be visiting the club or Scotland for a very short period of time. I'm usually, as soon as I hear any of these guys are on the, the way north uh, or are coming to the club for a game, I'm usually straight on the phone to try and uh, cajole them into joining us in commentary. Um, but a favourite, you know, is not a term I would use for any of them because they've all got different qualities and different skills, and many are from different eras. So, you know, if you take Andy Little, for instance, and uh, Stevie Smith, um, both of whom played in very successful Rangers sides under Walter Smith before the, the crash of 2012, both of whom then had very difficult periods at the club when we were positioned out with the top flight. So their experience is quite sensational. You know, they, they've experienced when the, the trophy-winning days and the darker days when we've been redefining our future. Um, and both talk in current terms. You know, some of our older co-commentators like Derek Johnson would basically be talking about getting their face. Stevie Smith might be a wee bit more uh, current by talking about the high press, you know? So, it, and it's terminology that will be much more easy to relate to for guys of your own vintage, you know, uh, compared to some of the older school. But we have such a, a, a wide audience, a, age grouping, that I think it's great that we can use legends like Derek Johnson, who delivered the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1972, to guys like, you know, Stevie Smith, who's played recently for the club. Um, so they all bring something different. And Ian Durant is another. Now, Ian would have been, without fear of contradiction, a world-class player before the horrid injury that he picked yeah. up against Aberdeen. Um, he then coached the 19s, he coached the reserves, he coached the first team, often considered a bit of a, a joker, and he is. He, he's got the sharpest tongue you've ever come across. Um, 
phenomenal company, but his awareness and understanding of the game is absolutely terrific. And I've found Ian to be really educational. We're not looking at a Harvard University graduate. Let's keep it in context. He will have, like yourself. Well, <laughs> he will have the vocabulary. And, and he's guilty of saying things like, no, no, no. But it's Ian Duran. You know, I've seen one or two criticisms of him. But for me, his ability to identify what's going on and impart it in simple terms is outstanding. Likewise, Peter Lovenkrantz with the, with the Glasgow Danish accent, <laughs> uh, also now back coaching at the club. Sensational. Yeah. Yeah. And his passion for the club is still remarkable. Kevin Thompson, also coaching at the club, a modern day guy, he's eye on the prize. And he sees the commentary as, a, as another mechanism of building his own understanding of the game because he's going to be a top manager one day. There's no doubt in my mind Kevin Thompson will be a top manager. And he prepares for a commentary the way he would, as if he was preparing a team to take the field. So they, they all bring something different um, and they're a pleasure to work with. So you said you wouldn't mention a favourite, but um, no. as I said to Kevin last night, I always ask um, ex-players if they can make a five-a-side team of the best players they've played with. I'm going to put it to you and ask if you can make a five-a-side team of the five best co-commentators, not, um, not based on their commentating ability, but their footballing ability. Goodness gracious, that, that's a terrific question. Some question. <laughs> yeah, especially as I don't recall having a co-commentator that was a goalkeeper. So I, I might have to consider a backing goalie. Do you still get <laughs> backing goalies? That's what we called them in the day. You can, you can just switch it every goal. We can go with that. Every, every goal you can see, we change the keeper. We'll do that. We could guess the goalie, maybe just bring a goalie guest in at that. Um, there's no... I'm going to go with a wee bit left fielder in the first instance, from a five-a-side team, yep. who only joined me in a, a co-commentary game on one occasion. Um, and he's a real vintage Rangers player, Dave Smith. We joined the club in uh, 1966, from memory, from Aberdeen. And he was equally comfortable in midfield or as a centre-back. And the semi-final of the Cup Winners' Cup when Rangers eliminated Bayern Munich, uh, he skippered the side in the absence of John Gregg. In the final in Barcelona, he played, as the Italians would call, the libero role. He was the sweeper. And if you go on YouTube and look at the goals, Dave Smith's touch on the ball and the way he caressed the ball and his timing and his movement was really, really wonderful. And he's still a huge Rangers fan today. He, he lives up near Aberdeen. And he comes down in the Fraserburgh Rangers Supporters Club bus for every home game. Dave Smith would be in my five. We only used him on one occasion for Rangers TV. Um, and if memory serves me, it was a game against East Fife. Uh, and it was while we were working our way back from the bottom. Uh, and Dave, you know, of a certain vintage, perhaps now 70, 71 years of age, the pace of the commentary was challenging, but the input was terrific. So Dave Smith would make my, uh, and it says a lot of these, my first pick of my five. I'm going to go with it with it with a, a guest goalie because we we haven't, to my knowledge, I hope I've got this right, um, that you know we, we've never had a co-commentator who was actually a goalkeeper. Um, so I'm I'm going to go on this occasion with Andy Gorham uh, as the guest goalie, which leaves three places left in the side. Um, one of which would have to go to a player who was described by the late great David Cooper as built like an X-ray. And his name is Bobby Russell. And Bobby joined Rangers and won a treble in his first season, having signed from Shettleson Juniors. He made the leap from Shettleson Juniors to Rangers' first team and signed at the same time were David Cooper and Gordon Smith. And Rangers put together a terrific team. And Bobby Russell slipped into that side seamlessly in midfield. He just glided across the surface could pick a pass and was swivel hit. He was absolutely outrageous midfield player to consider 
that he could make that transition from junior football to a treble winner in his first season. And we've been fortunate that Bobby has also joined us in commentary on a number of occasions. So, so Bobby most definitely gets a jersey in, in that regard. Now it gets difficult. I need a ball winner. I need a cruncher in there that would perhaps allow Bobby Russell to go and express himself uh, and, and support Dave Smith. It would have to be Tomo. You know, you think back to that debut old film game for a certain Mr. Keane, <laughs> where he gets cemented by Kevin Thompson, and Tomo then slaps him down as he gets back to his feet and says, don't try that again, son. So, you know, he was put in his place very quickly. And, and I think if I wanted someone in the trenches, KT would take that box big time. So we've got Andy Gorham, Kevin Thompson, Dave Smith, Bobby Rustle. He's a striker. He's a striker. Challenging. Most definitely challenging. And this guy, I believe, could easily have been Rangers' record goal scorer ever had he focused on being in one position only. Now, we know the goals that were delivered by Bob McPhail. We know the goals delivered by Alistair Murdoch McCoist, MBE, who remains <laughs> the main man, the head honcho, numero uno. But Derek Johnson is the third in all-time goal-scoring records for Rangers Football Club. Oh, oh. And he played around a third of his games as a centre-half, not as a striker. And he didn't take penalties. When you get into a debate, and he and, and McCoy are great pals, when you get into a debate with the two of them together, it's absolutely terrific because Derek claims he would have been the man who had the top goal-scoring record at Rangers had he just been an out-and-out striker throughout his time at the club. So Derek Johnson has to come in there, and I'm making a change to the side. That team wouldn't need a goalkeeper. So we don't need Andy Gorham guessing. Don't need a keeper at all now. Durant. Durant just to get in there yeah. uh, and he would be player coach. He would be the guy who would get them motivated and make things happen. And that team, they would have the ball that often. They wouldn't need to worry about picking out their own net too often either. They would score goals for fun. That's what it is. And do you think that team could, could take on Kevin Thompson's team from last night? Thomas wasn't bad. However, I have to say he was, he was very uh, positive about David Weir. Uh, in short-sided games yeah. and uh, you know Rangers got David Weir in the twilight of his career um, and it was a short-term contract originally and he defied logic he defied the years by playing for the duration that he did and captaining the side the trophies uh, a fantastic ambassador for the club as well but you know David was an out-and-out defender was never the quickest went back to his days firstly at Falkirk and then at Hearts he took the roundabout route to Rangers, never the quickest, and he might have been quick up top, you know, maybe not as fleet of foot. Uh, so I think the team I would put out against Tom was remembering that um, I've got him in my team now, and he didn't pick himself. He didn't pick himself for his own team. I, I, I would be astounded if he didn't think he couldn't get the job done against his preferred five. Excellent, Tom. Now, slightly moving on to something a, a bit different. Um, at yep. Youth Football Scotland, we are heavily invested in youth and grassroots football. And um, I've seen um, through your Twitter account that you are highly supportive of the Rangers Youth Development Company. Um, yep. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, what they're doing at RYDC? Well, I've always enjoyed you know, watching the youngsters come through. Yep. Um, going back to the days of Satanta and the early days of Rangers TV and, and it was carried by Satanta, and I covered every reserve game. Um, so I, I've watched a host of youngsters come through, and it's a really difficult uh, request um, to harmonise the natural talent that got youngsters to Rangers Football Club with the commitment, application, desire um, to make it to the very top, and very few actually do. Um, but they've given a fantastic platform to do so under Craig Mulholland and his team at Auchenhowie. And I think they've just built a brand new grandstand there, which will allow them to host uh, games for the unders. It'll also allow them to host um, games for the Rangers women's team. Um, so the energy being put into that department 
the, the finance that's been invested there as well. And the way these youngsters are treated is giving them the best possible opportunity to make the grade. Sadly, the demands and expectations of a football club of the enormity of Rangers means not all will actually make it. But, you know, if you go through the teams that take the field most Saturdays in Scottish football, from top flight to bottom, it will be absolutely loaded with guys who learned at least part of their trade while at Ockenhowie and maybe just fell that wee bit short of making it to the Rangers' top flight. Um, and I think the group that are on the go just now uh, have genuine opportunities. I think Stephen Gerrard uh, views youth as the way forward. You know, everyone is facing financial meltdown right now, in courtesy of this horrid COVID-19 experience. Whether it's football or any other industry, Adam, that they're, they're really being pressurised uh, on finance just now. Um, and this may accelerate the opportunity for other youngsters. There are, I think, three guys at the moment who were immediately called into the first-team squad training group since coming back to work. Um, Lewis Mayo being one of them. Uh, Kai Kennedy, another, who yeah. is absolute, you know, wonderful talent to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Rangers will give the platform to the youngsters, but they have to grasp it, and it's not just about talent. The application is critical. The dedication, even more so. And I think when we chatted, and I, I was fortunate to be party to your interview with Kevin Thompson uh, recently, Adam, where Kevin said, be the best you can be. Uh, and, and I think that mantra says an awful lot about what's required to make the grade. And Kevin, despite losing his mojo for a short period, he had all the desire in the world that enhanced his natural ability to work at the game and make the grade. And he got his rewards. I think last night, or the other night when we were speaking to him online, um, when he was at home in Edinburgh, let me confirm there is still a, a, a little chef halfway up his drive and a petrol station further up there as well. So he's reaped the rewards from a terrific career, but he's worked his backside off in the early days, Adam, to get there. And if any youngster at Rangers or any other club wants to make it to the very top, they should look to Kevin. Um, now, talking to someone that's, that's made it to the top, um, yourself as a, a commentator, but um, <laughs> uh, usually with commentators, um, you don't get to see your, um, your face. And um, today we've been lucky enough to see your beautiful face and all its glory. Um, but have you ever been the radio? I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I, I would like to know: Have you ever been been noticed in the street by any Rangers fans or um, similarly Celtic fans before? I, I, I would take to sound conceited, yeah, because <laughs> it's not me at all. That's just that's yeah, yeah, not me. But there are two stories um, that I'll share. One was I was with my partner Patricia in uh, George Square, I think two Christmases ago. And we'd been to the Jamie Oliver's Italian restaurant in George Square there yeah. uh, in the late Saturday afternoon. The game was obviously the Sunday or whatever. And we came out of the restaurant and all the, the fun fair and rides, etc., are all behind us in George Square, all lit up with the Christmas decorations and things. So and Pat says to me, quick, let's get a selfie. So we start facing the restaurant, our backs to the the, all the amusements and coloured lights, etc. And Pat gets her phone up, I take the picture, so it's usual selfie style. Yeah. And I'm looking, and there's a couple of guys standing watching us. I'm thinking, what's this? What's going on here? Um, so Pat takes the picture, and the boy goes, Me next, Tom. <laughs> and, I, and Pat said, I, I, I'm actually with him. You know? <laughs> And I was really embarrassed, I have to say. I, I was embarrassed, but yeah, all right. Um, so that was one. Did you do it? Did, did, you, did you give them the picture? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, 
it, it happens more often than I'm probably comfortable with, to be honest. <laughs> uh, usually before or after a game, and then around the car park at Ibrox and uh, on the train going into Glasgow occasionally and things. But another one I'll share with you happened as recently as Friday of last week. And uh, I had gone into a well-known cafe in Bridge of Allen, who is the best ice cream ever. Was it the Allen Water Cafe? Oh, been... that's the one. That's, that's the one, one. yep, yep. The ice cream is, is out on its own. Yep. So I, I've gone along there last Friday afternoon, beautiful afternoon, took a quick run around the Bridge of Allen to get some ice cream. And uh, there's a queue. Everyone observing the social distancing of two metres. So there's two people in the shop, one outside, then me. And as the queue moves on, you move in. And in, in line with current guidelines and legislation, the cafe have big perspex screens up so there's yeah. minimal contact, whatever. So I asked for a litre of vanilla, and the fellow gives me a litre of vanilla. So he goes and retrieves one from the freezer rather than filling one up. And as I go to pay, he says, Pardon? And I'm, because of the, the, the perspex divider, I'm thinking, did I hear him right? I could really make a, an absolute <laughs> rickets here, you know? And I said, sorry, and he went, no, 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 it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. It's no bother. So I gets my card out to pay. And he goes, you are Tom, aren't you? <laughs> and I went, Tom, he went, Rangers, Rangers. And he's not one to say it too loud because there's a queue behind me, obviously. And I went, no charge, no charge. I said, no, no, I couldn't do that. He says, uh, me and my brother uh, watch every game, albeit we're meant to be out of the country to get it live. Uh, he says, but we're here in the cafe every game. We watch every game. I'm a big fan of your work. And I said, well, not as big a fan as I am of yours. So I insisted I, I had to pay, which means I can go back and get some again. But that was as recent as his last week. Um, but I, I do find it unusual uh, to get a wee bit of recognition. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's difficult, difficult but to come to terms with. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not what I do, it's not what I'm after. I'm just, I'm very privileged, very fortunate um, to be able to do what I do and a better recognition along the way. By the way, you get stick as well, don't get me wrong. There's, there's a host of other Rangers fans who think, you know, I'm absolutely hopeless. Um, and, and everyone's entitled to an opinion. Everyone will divide opinions. There's no doubt about that. You only have to look at the way the players are, are, are you know, ridiculed and given stick on occasion. So, you know, there'll be something wrong. If if I didn't get my share of um, the brickbats as well from from their support. So you mentioned sometimes you, you can't get some stick from supporters, but have you ever had any stick from managers or players alike after matches from Rangers or from opposition clubs um, for your performances as a commentator? Uh, I, I can go back to um, Radio Fourth days. And yep. I remember Hearts were playing Dunfermline at Dunfermline. And again, something I touched on earlier about that first factor to get the team used early. And I had gone down to the dressing rooms at East End Park very early. Sometimes, you know, maybe not going on here till two, teams tend to arrive around 1.30. So maybe about 1.30, I've gone down to the dressing room area at East End Park to get the team used. Jimmy Calderwood was the manager of Dunfermline at the time. And Craig Levine was manager of Hearts with Peter Houston, his assistant. Now, I've got an A4 clipboard, and I would go and ask, would you share your team news with me? It's only for my own use to go and prepare for my commentary. What's the shape? So, Jimmy Calderwood's given me his team, and I, I don't use the first page of the A4 pad. I use the second page. So, I'm bringing the first page back over, and no one else sees it. So, I've got the Dunfermline team, and I've got the shape. Tell a lie, wrong way around. Peter Houston, his assistant, comes out, and he gives me the heart team and the heart shape. So, I've used the second page. And I've got the team, I've got the shape, I've got the subs, I've got the squad numbers. It's all there for me. Ideal. So I close the book. Jimmy Calderwood then comes out. I ask Jimmy Calderwood to use the Inferno team. So I flip the page, two or three pages on, so that he can't see or access the Hearts team. And he gives me the, the, the team. And on the Monday, I got a phone call from Peter Houston, uh, suggesting 
and accusing me of having given Jimmy Calderwood his team. And I said, I can assure you, I didn't. He says, I saw you with the same clipboard. I said, you met someone with the same clipboard, but I can give you an absolute categoric denial that I showed him your team. He said, why would I do that? There's absolutely nothing in that for me to do that. And Peter, as you know, being a, a ginger, it was a volatile chap, and the argument got quite heated. And then he finally accepted that uh, I had nothing to apologise for. I hadn't shared these team news. And now Peter and I are great friends. We've covered games together for radio and when he, he was unemployed after leaving Leicester. Um, we still exchange texts regularly, and his usually ends with hail, hail, and mine will be something totally opposite. Um, so that was Peter Houston going back a number of years. Um, I was also party to the, there was a, an unsavoury experience at Tannadice where Jim McLean, the then Dundee the United, uh, uh, actually physically assaulted John Barnes of the BBC. Um, if you haven't seen it or heard it, go on and Google it. Uh, and it, it, he'd been asked not to ask a particular question, but John Barnes felt it was prudent to ask this question. Yeah. And Jim McLean just lashed out and, and gave him a right hook. And the camera was still running. Well, I was standing next to him because I was about to interview him next, uh, I think at that time, for whoever I was working with, be it Scott Sport or, or radio or whatever. So I was called to a witness to that assault on the Monday <laughs> by Strathclyde's finest, who um, came in and visited me and, and wanted a statement about the assault on a reporter from the, I think at that time, Jim McLean, um, wasn't the manager, he was, he was, he was director um, yeah, yeah. at the United by then. So yeah, there, there have been some unusual <laughs> incidents along the way, um, and that's only two that come immediately to mind. But fortunately, I was neither uh, the one who, who took the right hook from Jim McLean, and I was, I was able to smooth talk Peter Houston that, you know, it's more than my job's worth to share team news. And it's a lesson there. And, you know, I'd said it earlier about, you know, having to build that relationship, having to build that um, trust. Uh, it takes a while, but it shows you how quickly the trust can be broken um, and, unless you really guard it and protect it as if your life depended upon it. And then one final question. Um, do, you, um, do you ever watch your own performances back to listen never. to hear what you've said? Never. No, never at all. Never have. Um, I've got friends that will say, oh, I heard you, it was terrific. Yeah. And have you kept, have you kept a, a disc of it or that? No. Have you kept any souvenirs of, of games you've covered? No. And perhaps at a later date, I'll say, I wish I had. Um, but no, I, I think I would be my own worst critic uh, <laughs> along the way. And back to be the best you can be and be yourself, you know, uh, I, I give it my best shot, I give it the passion, um, because that's the genuine driver, um, I'll do my homework, but I might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I've been really, you know, honoured to be able to deliver on behalf of Rangers Football Club for 21 years, that means I should be getting a testimonial. Should I have done all the years ago? I'll get to so yeah, it's been a problem. Then. Absolutely. <laughs> and then um finally, um as we've done yesterday, we'll now have the YFS quick fire quiz. You've been Thank nominated you. by the man himself, Kevin Thompson. Are you feeling ready to take part? Yeah, but remember there's no preparation done here. This isn't like commentary much. You're talking <laughs> than that. Okay. Right. Um same as yesterday, there'll be one minute on the clock, you will be asked a series of questions based on your career or clubs associated with your career. There's a maximum of 15 questions. I think Kevin got through nine yesterday. So we're yeah. doing, but, um, doing well to get through as many as that. His final score was eight. Do you think you can beat that? I doubt it. Doubt it. Depends how quickly you ask the question. <laughs> well, that was the advice yesterday. Yeah. I, need to, yeah. I need to ask a bit quicker, OK? We've got we'll a one in case we don't agree. Yeah. <laughs> Starting... Now, in which year did you start commentating for Rangers TV? 1999. How many permanent managers have Rangers had since you began commentating? <laughs> My goodness. Four. 
Um, Mackay does well to drop off. Good change of direction as well. Barry Mackay takes a deflection. Name the game. That was the League Cup semi-final where it actually feathered the Celtic defender who turned his back on the ball and it rifled into the roof of the net. Um, stunning goal. And we were high, high up it. Well, yeah, there's only about 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep going. Yeah, keep that, going was keep that was a game. That was a game. <laughs> who was the opposition for your first ever match in Rangers TV? Sunderland. Um, can you name the two jail scorers from that day? Wow. Ian Ferguson and... Oh, Ian Durant. And in which year was your authorised bi biography of Sandy Jordan published? 2016. And which year was your Jim Baxter book, Some Jim, published? 2014. When was Scott Sport first aired on television? 1962. Oh. We have your final score. That was a grand total of five. Unfortunately, you fall just short of Kevin Thompson. I get carried away about that semi-final remembering the goal. Yeah, that cost me about 10 seconds. <laughs> At least three questions. Do you want to hear what the other ones are? Go on then. We had, um, name the first, uh, Rangers' first trophy after they became commentator. League Cup final. It was the league title in 1999-2000. Then um, you are. This, this is the question I want you to get to. This is an absolute screamer of a question. You're not the only Tom Miller to ever be involved with Rangers. Your namesake played for the club between 2008 and 2010, yes. but never made an appearance. Name one club he has appeared for. Norwich City. He was. He was actually a youth player at Norwich before coming to Rangers. and never actually made a first team appearance. All right, sorry. Yeah. Could have yeah. said um, Bury, Fylde. Um, it was Brecon City. Was on loan at. We volunteered right back. Yeah, I recall it. Yeah. Yeah. Carlisle. Um, he went on to Carlisle as well. Carlisle's the correct answer. You really got Carlisle, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then who finished top scorer for Rangers in the league this season? Morelos. It's the four in the league. Morelos is more than yeah, all competitions. A big, a big percentage of Morelos' goals uh, came in Europe, of course. Came in Europe. So, I'm, I'm absolutely confused. We're about to watch the English league be finalised, the game's being played out, and we're about to start a new campaign up here. It's bonkers. I, I don't know that I can get my head into gear with that. So when we actually start, are we playing last year or a new season? It, it is quite bonkers. The ridiculous thing for me is that um, we're also we're coming back training roughly the same time as what the English teams have been able to come back training. So why was there such a big rush to, to finish the season so quickly? I mean, it was finished you know, like weeks ago. Why? Why did they have to to curtail it like so quickly, man? The question on managers. My goodness, I was a million miles away. Deck advocate, and then of course he was followed by Alec McLeish, yep. Paul Le Guin for half a season, uh, effectively. Walter then returned. Walter moved on. McCoy took charge, and then we had Cassinia and um, Stephen Gerrard and. Along the way, Murtis and Stuart McCall's uh, pitching in as well. So my goodness, sure. it was um, it was permanent permanent managers. So you got seven permanent managers there. You miss out yeah. Mark Warburton. Yeah, well, of course, forgot. But he was a and terrific gentleman to have to say. Yeah, he was very so, helpful. There was a few more questions left. Uh, what was the last fixture you commentated on before the coronavirus outbreak and substance? It was uh, the yeah the European match uh, at Ibrox. Yeah, yeah Leverkusen. And who has the most appearances in all competitions this season for Rangers? Alan McGregor. It's Connor Goldson. Fifth, wow, fifth, of course. I think it was yeah, 51 been, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't uh, started my prep for next season yet. I know that I have that. <laughs> I can help you out, help me out for this stuff. And then, finally, which Rangers player is the most decorated player in the club's history? So the most amount of uh, medals. Has to be playing for Rangers, those medals, that is. McCoy's only one Scottish Cup medal, so that takes him out. Although he had, you know, three, I think, League Cup, nine. More tournaments. I'm going to go, John Gregg is the greatest ever Ranger, but it's not him either. So I'm going to go back to McCoy. It is McCoy. McCoy's the correct one. Yeah. Top man. It was a wee curveball here. I just threw you off the centre. <laughs> but it, it, bizarrely, you only ever get one Scottish Cup medal. It's hard to imagine that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was either injured um, throughout the campaign and never got played in the final, broke his leg in Portugal playing for Scotland, missed a final, but uh, yeah, he's one of a few that got the nine in a row.
Well, um, that, that's about us. Thank you very much for, for coming on, Tom. You were, you were excellent and some great advice for some young commentators there as well. Top man, thank, thank you very much for coming on. Well, that concludes today's interview. Thanks very much to our interviewer, Adam Binney, and our interviewee, Tom Miller, for a fascinating discussion on Tom's career as a commentator and a broadcaster. If you've enjoyed this episode, then feel free to check out more of them right here on Spotify. Or why don't you head over onto our YouTube channel, Youth Football Scotland TV. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more interviews, podcasts and other content coming soon.